0: So if you were here last week, you realize that we started our series in the book of Galatians. And right out of the gate, what Paul was doing is he was basically showing them he was angry, he was concerned, because the people in Galatia that he preached the gospel to on his first and second missionary journeys and planted these churches in Galatia were kind of falling away from the true gospel message. They were allowing teachers that teach Faith in Jesus plus works of the law equals salvation. The works of the law they were focusing in on were the Old Testament ceremonial laws. So Paul confronts them. And says this is a distortion of the true gospel. Because what they are believing is actually man-made religion and actually not from God. So he continues in this next section and he says this. And we're picking up in verse 11. Last week we left off in verse 10. And if you're relatively new here, when we study through books of the Bible, we go through book, uh, verse by verse, line by line, so we don't miss anything. We give you the whole counsel of God. So we're picking up in verse 11 and he says this. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul now reminds them how he trusted in Jesus, or in other words, where he received the gospel message from. It was directly from Jesus. So why does Paul feel the need to say this? Well, it seems like I think there's at least three reasons he kind of packages it like this, and he wants to tell them a few things. So the three reasons, the first is this. He wants to prove that it was Jesus that changed him. Picking up in verse 13, it says this. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So now what Paul is doing is is basically saying Jesus is the one who showed up. Jesus is the one who changed me. This is what Paul was like before Jesus. Now, most of you probably have heard of Paul's encounter with Christ, but what Paul's life was under the name of Saul, what he was like before he trusted in Christ. And he was violently opposed to the cause of Christ. He was trying to wipe out Christianity. And most would agree that it would be a tall order To go up and tell a person like that about Jesus. Let me kind of paint a picture. It's like somebody that's so anti-Christian, but so involved in whatever faith they're in. And it would be like you going up to them and be like, hey, um, I'm a Christian and I, I want to tell you about Jesus. You might be a little afraid, right, because this guy's violent, but not only that, he's so involved in the faith that he believes in, so just your average Christian is probably not even going to approach that person or would not be very successful. Now, let's turn the tables a little bit. A lot of you are pretty stable in your faith. You know exactly what you believe. And let's say somebody from a different religion, a different faith, comes up to you and says, hey... I want to tell you about my faith, you're probably going to be like, I'm pretty settled, right? I know Jesus. I'm pretty settled. Like, I'll hear you out, but I'm not entertaining this. So Paul had a radical experience with Jesus. He was a highly educated person in Judaism. Not only that, he was very passionate about what he believed to be true. So it was only really a special visit from Jesus That was going to change Paul. Jesus made that visit to Paul in Acts chapter 9. Some of you that were here when we studied through the book of Acts realized that. Jesus showed up when Paul was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. Now, for you and I, maybe you have a radical change story. Your personal testimony of how Jesus changed you can be very powerful when you're talking to others about the Lord, it can be very useful to inspire them because when people see a change in us, they start to realize that something that they might have thought was impossible is actually possible. For those of you that, that trust in Christ later in life, you may be examples of radical change. This gets the attention of other people. Other people might want to know, like, what happened? Why did you change? Like, what, what, was, what, was, what were the events leading up to you changing? You were such a different person. You didn't talk like that. You didn't think like that. You were such a different person. And through your testimony, you might have great opportunities to share the gospel with other people. Now, granted, there's always going to be people that are skeptical, right? Some of you realize this. Like, you have become a Christian maybe later in life. And there's other people in your family like, "Ah, I don't know if that's real. I don't know if they're genuine. I don't know. You know, this is just kind of like a cry for help or whatever. Maybe they're skeptical. But now there's those of you that trusted in Christ when you were a very small child. We have a lot of people in our church that, you know, were brought up in the Christian church. You don't have any specific pinpoint of change, right? You know, you're not like, I used to be greedy with my crayons and then I wasn't anymore. It's not like that, right? You, you can't really see, like, okay, I can pinpoint, like, the change in me. Well, what I would suggest to you is this. Don't be discouraged and wish you had a more dramatic testimony. Don't be discouraged and wish you had a more dramatic testimony. Because it's still the work of God in your life. And actually, be thankful that at an early age, he protected you from making sinful, pointless decisions that many of us Made because we didn't trust in Christ at an early age. Be thankful that your parents loved the Lord and brought you to church and brought you to Sunday school and brought you to kids' club, and you had teachers of, you know, Sunday school teachers and kids' club teachers and stuff that helped you to come to Christ at a very early age. But the next thing that Paul wants to do is this. He wants to prove that it's Jesus that called him. Now, this, it picks up in verse 15 and says, But when he who had set me apart, talking about Jesus, before I was born, and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Now, Paul states a profound truth. Before he was born, God the Father set him apart or called him. Do you realize this is the same for you? Before you were born, God knew what he was doing with you. God had a purpose for you. God had a purpose for you. If if the plan was for you to trust in him at five years old, that was God's plan. That's great. It also reminds us that it's his work in his time. Now, we see here Paul doesn't take the credit for that being accomplished, but he gives the credit to Jesus. But notice, Paul realizes his specific call was to preach Jesus among the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. Now, this is important for the context of Galatians because these Judaizers, okay, these false teachers that we're later going to get into in the book, were basically saying in order to be a Christian, you essentially have to be Jewish. Okay, you have to obey the Jewish ceremonial laws in order to be a Christian. But now, what Paul's saying is he said, My call was to preach or is to preach to the Gentiles to the non-Jewish people. Praise the Lord for us that non-Jewish people can be saved, right? So this was Paul's call. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but we all have specific callings from Jesus on our lives. Meaning, he has work for us to do. And in some cases, they are things that only we can do. And the reason why is this. Because the place where God has placed you Remember back in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, God placed each person in the place where they should dwell? Well, guess what? You are in the family that you're in. You are in the friend group that you're in. You are on the street that you live on. You are at your job where God has placed you. You are in the school where you're at. God has placed you in these places, and your main goal is to bring glory to him while you are there by telling others about him by following him and meeting the needs of others, being a light. You will go places that I can never go, and vice versa. God has a call on each one of you. See, one way to prove that Jesus is real to others is by the way that we live, right? By the way that we live. And this is what Paul was doing. Paul knew that there would be skeptical people because of his past. But just like today, we have skeptics. So the next thing that Paul wants to do is he wants to do this. He wants to prove that the message is from Jesus. So he says this, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So now he tells us what happens. He says, you know, I didn't receive this. I didn't immediately go and consult. The point here is this. Paul is telling them that the message that he originally preached to them when these churches were planted was not man's invention. He was following directly from Jesus. You see, if Paul would have went and said, hey, to the rest of the apostles, like, is this the message? Let's collaborate here. What would happen is these Judaizers and all of them that were trying to preach this false gospel or this gospel distortion would say this is just this whole movement of people that follow Jesus they all collaborated on a story and this is what they're teaching but Paul's saying no the message I received actually is from Christ and guess what the message they received is from Christ and when you do collaborate it's the same message but I didn't get it from them so you see what Paul's doing here See, Paul, if he went to compare those notes, people would be skeptical of him. So he says, here's what he did. He, he he, He says they were apostles before me. I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So he said, I didn't even go and talk with them. This brings a sense of validation to the message. This is why it's so important for each of you to be in God's word, so that you know what Jesus said. Do you know when you're talking to somebody, if you say, well, Pastor Mike said this, and Pastor Mike said that, and Pastor Mike said this, it's not going to float. I'm a nobody, right? But Jesus is the one that we should be quoting. So we say, Jesus said this, his word says this. Of course, Christian pastors and leaders and authors and, and theologians and stuff help us understand things better, but we go right to the word. See, remember, the original 12 apostles got to spend three years following Jesus. What an amazing call they had, right? Three years following our Lord. So what Paul says next is pretty interesting, and I think it's a bit of a parallel, and it's kind of like a little sentence that, you know, some might even overlook, but he says this. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and that's Peter, And remained with him 15 days, but I saw no one of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you is before God, I do not lie. So here's what Paul is saying He says, I went and spent three years. Three years. For three years, we have to ask, what was Paul doing in Arabia and Damascus? Now, Acts chapter 9 kind of fills in a little bit about Damascus. He says he preached in the synagogue, and he was run out of town. But most theologians believe that this time in Arabia, Paul was actually spending time with the Lord, connecting the dots from everything he learned, because he was a very religious Jew, right? But I can only imagine during that time, All these things that he learned up until that point, he was like, this has been pointing to Jesus the whole time. All the things that we look back at now and say the Old Testament prophecies that point to Jesus. So I can only imagine that Paul was like, there's Jesus, there's Jesus again, there's Jesus. For three years, he spent studying. Now, some of you might have been brought up in a religious environment, but you didn't become a Christian until later in life. And some of the things that you learned in that religious environment, you're like, when you became a Christian, you're like, oh, that makes sense now. That's why my mom and dad taught me that. That's why that Sunday school teacher said that. That's why it, it just makes sense now. And I think that's kind of what Paul was going through here. And he's saying, I'm not lying about this. Okay, just, just for the record, this is how it went down. During that three years, he was spending time in the Lord, in the Word. He was spending time with the Lord. This is why I've been banging this drum, right? For how long? What do I say? Get in the Word. We need to be people that are in the Word. So then Paul eventually went up to Jerusalem, visited Peter and James. And if they were wondering again, I'm not lying, he says. Then he fills them in a bit on his travels and how the believers in Judea had not met him yet. He says this Then I went to the regions of Syria and Sicilia, Caes- and I was still unknown to, in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. And then he goes on and says, They were only hearing it, they only were hearing it said he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. So now what I want to point out is this, is Paul is proving to them this whole thing that I'm telling you, all that preaching that I did to you before, all the church planting that I did on that first and second missionary journey, basically he's saying is, this was not for my glory. This is for the glory of God. So Paul followed the call to preach Jesus to these people in Galatia. He did that. People got saved. Churches were planted. But the question I want to deal with for our remaining time together is this. Why does Paul care so much? Hey, remember, he went there. He did his job. He preached. Churches were planted. He left, got word that the churches were kind of getting a little off kilter, getting a little messed up. There were false teachers. You know, but Paul had a lot to do, right? Right? He traveled a lot, obviously. He ministered to a lot of people. Why did he care so much? In other words, what motivated Paul to pick up that pen and write to them after he was already there? And I think that we can narrow it down to three things. And those three things are obedience, love, and truth. Now, let's bring this to 2024, where we live today. Last week, we looked at popular distortions of the gospel message. Some of you were like, yeah, I've seen that or I've heard about that or, you know. And then, you know, I said, our church, right, is a gospel-centered church. So sometimes when we hear that, we're like, okay, I'm, I'm good, okay? Let's just kind of, like, just huddle up and not worry about what's going. There's a lot of messed up stuff, false teaching, distortions out there. Let's just kind of huddle up we're right and they're wrong, which is very unpopular, say, in our culture, right? But here's the thing. The question for us is this. Why should we care? Or do we have a responsibility to correct false teaching? Do we have a responsibility? I say this. We should care, and we do have a responsibility. And we should be motivated by the same things that Paul was motivated by. So let's look at that for a few minutes. First is obedience. Here's what Jesus says. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Part of our obedience in him is being aware that there's false teaching. Now notice what Jesus said. False prophets, they come to you in sheep's clothing, meaning like, they're going to seem nice, okay? Most false teachers are not going to knock on your door and be like, come with us. We're evil. We're crazy. Follow us. And you're like, okay. Like, that's not going to happen, okay? They're going to come as seemingly truthful, okay? Seemingly truthful. And they're going to try to deceive. They're going to try to make things nice. They're going to try to draw you in. So Jesus says, Be aware of this. John will later say this. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we're supposed to test the spirits. Well, how do we do this? From the word. If they're teaching you something that's not found in God's holy word, then there's going to be a problem. Okay? Might not seem like a problem at first, but there's going to be a problem. If they start to try to add to what God's word says, or we have extra stuff. It's been 2000 years. There's extra stuff. We're going to give you some of that. You know, sometimes for some of you, you are in the Bible so much, or you've spent so much time of your life studying that as soon as you hear something, you're like, that's wrong. As soon as you see the title of that book by the Christian author, you're like, this is going to be a mess. Okay. This is going to be a problem. Not only does John warn us of it, he actually directs us. And this is where it gets serious. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. Forever greets him, takes part in his wicked works. Now, this is so important for the church, isn't it? We can't open the door to false teaching and distortions because here's what happens. By doing that, we validate that. And when we validate that, what we do is we confuse people. We confuse people. And guess what? You know where they're gonna start to try to confuse people? Or you know where they are starting to try to confuse people? The kids, okay? The next generation. Let's teach them this so that the future changes. And that's what happens. So should we care? (laughs) I sure hope we should, right? We should care, and we do have a responsibility. So the way that we combat this is by solid, biblical, gospel-centered teaching. Now, the second motivation is love. Psalm 97.10 says, you who love the Lord hate evil. It's pretty simple, right? If you love the Lord, hate what he hates. God hates sin. God hates false teaching. False teaching is a smack in God's face. He hates it. We should hate it too. False teaching and gospel distortions are evil. They deceive people into never trusting in Jesus. Do You know how a person is saved? By trusting what Jesus has done. Admitting, I am a sinner and need a savior. Jesus is that savior. He died, he rose from the grave and he said, all who believe will have eternal life. If somebody teaches you other than that of a way to get to heaven, that deceives that person into actually fully trusting in Jesus, which essentially sends them into eternal separation from God. Do you think that's a good thing? Do you think that's something that God would love? Do you think that's something that we should love? Of course not. But the second is this. It's love for people. Now, the scriptures speak a great deal about how we love each other. Christians love one another. There's so, much, so many scriptures about how we should bear one another's burdens, love one another, take care of one another. Most of us have no problem loving our fellow Christians. They're like our spiritual family, right? But you know what? Jesus shows love to those who don't believe. Now, Christians, it's easy for us to huddle up and just spend time and be around and help out and be with the other Christians. We like them. They're encouraging to us. They believe the same way as we do. This is great. But you know what? We have to have a general love and goodwill towards the non-believer. God did. Glad he did, because that's us before we believed in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the example of Christ loving his enemies. The book of Romans says we were at enmity with God because we did not trust him. Because of our sin. As believers, we need to love unbelievers enough to correct false teaching that they are hearing no matter where it's coming from. Now think about Paul. Heard Paul? He loves the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles that he was called to preach to. Now, That might not sound that radical to you, but when you're the Apostle Paul who was once Saul who was brought up in a religious environment of Jewish people, of Judaism, that taught that if you were a Gentile, you were less than. Paul loves the less than people. It's basically, if you were brought up in an environment and taught to hate a certain group of people, It would be like you breaking away from that thinking and your upbringing and saying, no, I love them. And that's what Paul was doing. That's what Paul was doing. So there's going to be people in your life that maybe you're just like, can't stand them. I don't want to be around them. Maybe for what they've done, maybe for who they are, maybe for how they live, maybe for what they believe. Well, guess what? You and I have to have a general love for other people, no matter what. Don't buy into the gospel distortion of us against them. Because that's another distortion that keeps Christians from building relationships with people that don't believe like we believe, people that don't do things that we would do or do things against God, and we start to hate them. And that's not how Christians should live. Which brings us to the final thing that we should be motivated by, and that is the truth. God has given us the truth, through his word. We don't have a corner on the truth, okay? The truth is open to everyone, right? It's not like, oh, come to our church and we have the truth. The other churches don't. No, that's not the way it works. The Bible has the truth. And here's what the scriptures say. So Jesus said to to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will what? set you free set you free paul when he was talking to the the church in galatia he was like this is the gospel of freedom we know the truth and we should care enough for the people around us to experience the freedom that we have in jesus through salvation in him paul was motivated he was, the reason why he cared is he's like he wanted to get these churches back on track because there is gospel work that needs to be done in that area. And if these Judaizers came in and started to get them off track, they would die as a church. And subsequently, the people in that region would not see the truth, would not hear the truth, would not be set free by the truth. So he wanted them to give glory to God. We should be motivated to do the same thing in our community. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day. We pray, Lord, for each each person here that we would be motivated by obedience to you, by love for you and the people around us, and by the fact that the truth that you've given through your word sets us free free from our sin, free from that bondage, and free for eternity to live with you in paradise. We're thankful for that. And I pray all these things in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen.